If you have a Bible handy, I'd like you to turn to the book of James chapter 1, if you would please. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1 down to verse 4. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Our Father in heaven, as we come to you this morning, we approach you through the blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We do not come based upon our own merit or worth, but through Jesus. We approach your throne of grace this morning to find help in this hour, time of need. And God, we thank you for the inerrant, infallible, inspired word that we have read. And we pray now that our hearts would be tuned to you in your word. We pray that you would lift us away from ourselves for a few moments to focus exclusively upon you and what you are saying in your word. And as we do, we ask you as humbly as we know how that you would come and work in our midst, that you would come and work in our hearts and minds. Lord, that you would open blinded eyes and unstop deaf ears and soften stony hearts. We pray that you would reawaken faith in your children and the joy that comes from faith would flood our souls today. That we might leave this place being able to say that we have worshipped you in spirit and in truth. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. What price would you be willing to pay this morning in order to be transformed into the image of Christ? What would you be willing to pay in order to be transformed into the glorious image of Christ, the Lord of glory? What price would you be willing to pay in order to bear the beautiful fruit of righteousness? That is, that you would have a life that is faithful to God. That your life would be faithful to God. And that your life would be a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. What price are you willing to pay so that your life would bear the beautiful fruit of a godly 
meek, humble, loving, gracious life. What are you willing to pay? Well, our brother James, so many years ago, as he picked up his pen to write to the Christians that were scattered abroad in the persecution that had begun in those days, gives us a price. A price that he says is worth the cost. In order that we could become transformed into beautiful pictures of Jesus Christ. And in these three verses, verses 2 through 4, we will find the price that is worth rejoicing in. And we pray today that God will begin, if not continue, his great work of transforming us into beautiful pictures of Christ. We begin our journey in verse 2 as we look at these verses together when he says, my brethren, or in particular the word there, brethren or brothers, speaks of siblings in a household. And depending upon the context in which you find this word, you determine whether it means strictly male brothers or siblings in a home, brothers and sisters. And of course, in this particular context, it is brothers and sisters. It could be rightly translated into English, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. So I want you to hear that today. I just want you to listen to me as if I were, I were speaking to you, James the Apostle, standing up before the people, or rather an elder, a pastor of the church in the dispersion, scattered abroad, and they've received a letter from James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, who is the slave, the servant of God. And as such, he's been given an authoritative word to the church. And he says to them, I greet you, as a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. You see, the word that you were looking at, if you had the King James as I read, is the word temptation. But that's a little misguided because it is rightly and more literally translated trials. And we're going to see why. Because... These trials can serve as a great temptation in our lives, and therefore that's the reason they interpreted it that way at that time in the 17th century English. But he says that we are to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. And we become so comfortable with biblical language, do we not? And as we hear people read the Bible, or you may pick up the book of James and read that statement and move on past it without giving it very much thought at all. <laughs> but if I were talking to you and you came to me after the service or rather before the service started and you said to me, Pastor, I'm under a heavy burden this morning. And I am under a great trial this morning because I have discovered that I have something wrong with my body. The doctors have diagnosed me with something and I am very burdened and I am under severe trial at this moment in my life. If you came to me and said, Pastor, I'm, my heart is so heavy this morning and I'm under a heavy burden because of one of my children. 
the choices that they're making. It's such a burden in my life. I want them to honor God, and I've taught them to honor God, and they're not honoring God. And I'm so burdened. I'm under this great severe trial. I thought I was going to get this promotion, and the boss comes in and tells me this morning that I no longer have a job. You may come to me this morning as your pastor and say, my heart is so heavy, I'd like for you to pray for me because I am burdened. I am under a severe trial. And I look at you and this is the first thing that I say. Count it all joy, brother. And you say to me, Kevin, uh, I don't know if you heard what I said, but I was saying that I'm under a severe trial and my heart is deeply burdened. I don't know if you understood exactly what I was trying to ask you to pray about. And I say, I know what you're saying. Count it all joy, brother. Count it all joy, sister. When you meet trials of various kinds, Another way to put it would be to say that your heart should ring with rejoicing when you meet trials of various kinds. And you say, my heart is not ringing. And so very quickly, we need to diagnose one or two words here that's going to help us just a little bit in our journey. And that is to notice the words, count it. Count it all joy. Count it pure joy. Consider it pure joy when you fall into diverse temptations and trials and difficulties of life. James is going to say that we should consider this trial of our faith to be something to rejoice in. You see, what is the test here testing? Well, verse 3 tells us, knowing this, that the trying of your, what does it say? Your faith. So the test is testing your faith. What is being tested is our faith. And we know something about the testing of our faith that is going to give rise in our hearts for rejoicing in trial. You see, James is not telling us that we should rejoice in trials because of the trial. It's not some kind of warped and morbid sense of I try to hurt myself so that I can enjoy the pain that brings me pleasure. (laughs) It's not that kind of a rejoicing. He says not necessarily to rejoice in the trial in and of itself, but there's a good and glorious purpose Behind the trial. Did you hear me? We have a God in heaven that James is going to say later on in his letter. From from God comes every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. In whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And so this good and glorious and sovereign God and Lord Jesus Christ has orchestrated and designed trials for you, for a purpose in your life. And that purpose, that goal that God has, 
is worth rejoicing in. So why, you might ask, why does there need to be testing? Why does my faith need to be tested? Well, the word for testing here is the Greek term that's used for testing or tempering metals in order to prove their genuineness. You see, we do not normally test things for their authenticity or their genuineness unless they are of some value. (laughs) If something is of value, we put it to a test to determine its authenticity and genuineness. For example, there would be no real need for us to test the authenticity or the genuineness of bubblegum wrappers or popsicle sticks because bubblegum wrappers and popsicle sticks are not really of that much value to us. So if you hand us a popsicle stick or if you hand us a piece of bubblegum, we unwrap it, we throw the wrapper away, and we don't care really what it's wrapped in because we want the gum that's on the inside. We, see, we typically, and even in the scriptures, we find testing and tempering of certain things that are of value like diamonds or gold or silver. As a matter of fact, if you were to go to a store today after this service and you want to purchase something from the store and you pull out a $100 bill and hand it to your cashier, That cashier is going to take out a marker and put a mark on that $100 bill. Why? Because we value $100 in this country. And they want to make sure that that bill is authentic, that that bill is genuine before you can purchase whatever it is you're trying to buy. And they have a way of putting that bill to an instantaneous test to determine whether it is genuine, whether it is authentic, or whether it's fake. And James says that what is important to those Christians that have been scattered abroad into dispersion, James says that what is important for us today who are in the church, who come together in corporate worship, and we say that we are disciples of Jesus Christ, we vocalize and say that we are Christians, what is of value that is worth testing is our faith. What is being tested is the genuineness and the authenticity of our faith. You see, the creator God of heaven and earth has called us. The Bible uses the terms with a holy calling, a heavenly calling, a high calling. And this God of heaven through the gospel of Jesus Christ Jesus came and he lived a perfectly obedient life and went to the cross in obedience to his heavenly father and he died on the cross for sinners and he arose from the grave and he ascended into the heavens and he sent forth his spirit and he sent forth his gospel, the message of good news that all people everywhere are to repent from sin. That all people everywhere are to turn away from sin and to trust in Jesus Christ. To trust in what he did and what he accomplished on the cross when he died for their sins and paid the price of sin. And bore and absorbed the wrath of God against 
the sin of his people so that they could have eternal life. And he has called us away from the humanistic and the temporary, the earthly and the sensual pursuits of this life. Possessions and pleasures of the flesh and uh, and, and, and positions of power and prestige and the pats on the back from our fellow human beings. He has called us away from those earthly, sensual, temporary, humanistic pursuits of life. And he has said to come and take up our cross and deny ourselves those pursuits in order to pursue the true and supreme treasure of all things. Namely, God himself. And in doing that, he has given us great promises. This book is filled with great, swelling, wonderful, glorious promises. Let me give you a couple of them. For example, in Psalm 84, verse 11, God says this, The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. You hear that promise? God says, I will be a sun and I will be a shield to you. And no good thing, no good thing will I withhold from you from those who walk uprightly. Now, let me ask you this. When you're going through a trial, does that seem true? Jesus said in Matthew 6, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything you need in life will be added to you. You will not need anything in this life if you seek first God and his kingdom. But if you, you, if you lose your job tomorrow, will it seem like? That that is true. What about Romans 8.28? We love that one. And God shall work all things together for good to those who love him. To those who are the called according to his purpose. And one that's even maybe more all consuming than that one would be Romans 8.32. Which says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What does that leave out? What does that leave out? He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not then with him freely give us all things? So God is a sun and a shield to those who are his and that walk uprightly. He will not withhold from us any good thing. He will provide for us everything that we need in this life if we will seek first God in his kingdom. He will work all things together for good because we love him, because he has called us according to his purpose. And he's going to with Jesus Christ Freely give us all things. And the foundation of that promise is the reality that he gave his only son on the cross to die. So that you could have eternal life. And the authenticity and the genuineness of our faith who say that we believe God. 
I trust God. I take Him at His word. And when I meet or fall into trials of various kinds and my faith is being put to the test to determine whether it is authentic and genuine, it will be in those times of testing, in those times of trials, James says. That the genuineness and the authenticity of our faith will be shown. And James seems to think, and I agree, that that purpose is worth rejoicing in. Now, we haven't gotten to what the purpose is yet. So you're still with me, right? Go like this. Yes. I'm, I'm there. There's something in the trial that's worth it. Now, let's think about this various trials. It says diverse temptations, I read. And Lord, there is very literally many colored. In other words, the many colors of the world, of the universe, are a good representation for what James thinks about when he thinks about the various trials into which you may come. In other words, these trials are going to differ, let's say, in the length of time in which you will undergo the trial. There will be people in here that will go through trials that will be very short in length. You may have a really major weighty trial in your life, testing the authenticity and genuineness of your faith, but it may not last that long. Others may have a trial that will last for years. Not only will they differ in length, they also may differ in degree. In other words, your, your faith may be tempted in a differing degree than mine. You may suffer under a trial of a deeper degree of testing than I will. You see, because God knows what He's doing in each and every one of His children's lives. It may be that it differs in the type of trial that it is. You may go through a physical trial. Someone else may go through an emotional trial, a psychological trial. But all of these trials of various kinds and shades are going to test the authenticity and genuineness of our faith. For example, it may be a trial of a failure in some endeavor. Have you tried to do something, you've been trying to do something and make it work or something that you really want to come through, something you really want to happen and it failed? And you were praying about it, you were pleading to God for it and you didn't get it, it failed. Maybe that kind of a trial. Maybe it's a loss of something that's very dear to you. Maybe you have lost a loved one. Maybe you've lost your health. Maybe you've lost uh, a lot in the stock market. Maybe you lost your job, something that was precious to you, and now it's gone. Maybe that kind of a trial. Might be a trial where you're disappointed in some outcome or a pain in some ministry that you're trying to do for the glory of God and for the glory of Christ and for the sake of souls or some other endeavor that has just had a disappointing outcome in it. 
Maybe you've been persecuted for Christ's sake. Maybe you've been standing upon the word of God in some relationship with someone and, and, and they are persecuting you because you want to stand upon the truth of the word of God and you're, 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 you're hurt so deeply because of this trial. Now, James says that the reason that we are to consider it or to count it all joy, according to verse 3, is because we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. Okay, so we're getting a little closer now. The word patience there that I read to use the word steadfastness or persevering endurance in the faith. That this patiently enduring and persevering in the faith is worth rejoicing in. And the only way, listen to me very carefully right here. The only way that you're going to develop the characteristic, the quality character of steadfastness in the faith is through the trials that you meet of various kinds. You don't like that? I don't like it either. But we have a God who is good and gracious and sovereign and he knows what he's doing. And the only way, the only way is through the trials that we face. God brought to my attention several things that happen as a result of trials that I'd like to share with you. Number one, under trials we see our weakness and need. You see, one of the main corruptions of the human existence in sin is pride. Pride comes up in all kinds of ways. It, it pops and rears its ugly head up in all of us in various ways. And it is often through the trials that we realize our weakness and our need. It is under trials that we are confronted very often with our wickedness and sin. So many times we feel like that we have attained to a certain point or place in our life when we just, we've kind of arrived spiritually. We've kind of arrived at a place and we look at the Ten Commandments and we say, well, I don't steal and I don't kill and I don't... Uh, you know, I treat my parents well, and I've, I've got this thing. I come to church, I read my Bible, I pray regularly, and I, I'm, I'm really doing this thing. And it is only under a trial that we see the remaining corruption of sin that is lurking there, that we're so blind to. And God says, I want you to see this. I want you to see it. And the way that he causes us to see that remaining wickedness and sin is through a trial. You see, because it's easy to say, oh, how I love Jesus. It's easy to say that. But when the things of life are crushing us and the circumstances of our lives are pulling us. And we say, God, I thought you would be a sun and a shield. I thought that, that, that I would have everything that I needed. And, and I thought that, that you would not withhold from me any good thing. And I need this. This is something that I need and I, I love. 
And it is under the trials that the remaining corruption and humanistic dependency and sin can oftentimes come out. It's under trials that we find many realities in our hearts and in our lives and in our homes that need to change. It is under trials that we cry for the grace of God to come and to give us what we so desperately need and lack. It's under trials that we are drawn to our eternal heavenly hope. You see, because so often we get our, the roots of our life are dug so deep in this life and we put so much stock in our personal agendas and what we want out of this life and we dig so deep and we try to hold on to this world as it is and God has to loosen the soil and turn our attention back to where it ought to be. That is upon our eternal Heavenly hope. You see, it's through the trials. It's under the trials of life that you and I are brought into a deeper, more experiential relationship with God. Do you want that? You want a deeper relationship with God? You want to know Him experientially? comes through trials. I've never in my life heard or read of any Christian, not one, ever tell me, nor have I read that they have said, it is in the good times that I have grown in experiential deep-rooted faith and trust and dependency and delight in God. Never heard it said. And it will not ever be said because it's under the trials that the genuineness and the authenticity of our faith is proven. And it is in under those trials that we grow in our relationship with God. Paul says, I mean, James says in verse 4, that this steadfastness in the faith is not the end. There's something more. And this gets to the title of the message that I gave you earlier. Basically, it is translated like this. And let steadfastness have its full effect. There is a full effect of this characteristic of persevering in the faith under trials that produces this. So let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's what it says in verse 4. The full effect to be perfect. Now, when we think of perfection, we think of sinless perfection. It's not what he's talking about. When he says perfect, he's talking about fully ripe, mature believers. That's the reason the title of the message is transforming into beautiful pictures of Christ. To be transformed, to be changed into a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, 
comes through the pressure and the fiery furnace of trials that test the genuineness and the authenticity of what we say we believe and what we're really trusting in and delighting in and the effect or the full effect of that suffering in the midst of that as we persevere in steadfastness, in faith, in trust, in belief, in delight in God is that we become perfect. That is, we become more well-rounded believers. We become pictures of Jesus Christ, spiritually mature and ripe. So you picture a grape on a vine or an apple on a tree. That grape or that apple or that fruit, it needs certain things in order to be cultivated to a ripened condition. Is that true? So you have to have sun. You have to have a little shade in certain fruits and vegetables. It just depends. There has to be nutrients drawn up from the soil. There has to be water given to the plant. And it grows up and it ripens into this luscious fruit or vegetable that we love to eat. And in order to become that kind of Christ-like reflection of light in this dark world, we have to have trials. To change us and to transform us so that we are spiritually mature and complete, that is whole, lacking nothing, not deficient in any way. So he uses these compounded words, this compounded effect has to do with our whole self, not just what we say about God, not just what we say about Jesus, not just what we say about the word of God, the Bible, but what we become, who we are in Christ. And so I come back to our question, what price are you willing to pay? To become a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. Charles Simeon, one of my heroes who suffered so greatly in his ministry, once said concerning this developmental process, Complain not that your trials are heavy or of long continuance, but be more anxious to have your dross consumed than to have the intensity of the furnace diminished. It was through sufferings that the Lord Jesus Christ himself was made perfect. And if he learned obedience by the things which he suffered, will not ye be content to learn in the same way? What price are you willing to pay to be transformed into the image of Christ? Amy Carmichael, a longtime missionary in South India, wrote a poem that I want to leave with you as we close. Who was no stranger to these kinds of trials. This is what she said. Hast thou no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent, leaned me against the tree to die and rent. By ravening beast that compassed me I swooned. 
Hast thou no wound? Hast thou no wound, no scar? Yes, as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound, no scar? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. It's not a chipper word. It's not a word that tickles our ears. It's not a word that gives us the kind of joy and peace that the world gives. But oh, has this word been something to rejoice in? Not because we love pain or suffering or affliction or persecution or sorrow or trials for the trial's sake. But oh, we long to be like Jesus. We long this morning to turn into a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And I know that it is through the trials of life that we all face That the genuineness and the authenticity of our faith is tested and tried. And Lord, that as your grace sustains us through the trials of life, we will be transformed. Like the diamond under the pressure, like the silver under the heat of the furnace. The dross of our sin and wickedness and pride and selfish ambition will be burned away. And we, with scars and wounds, will reflect our Savior who was crucified and mocked and pierced that we can live. Help us, O God. Change us, O God, into the beautiful pictures of Christ. Because we pray and we ask In Jesus' name, amen.